You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Today's podcast is sponsored by my new favorite animated TV show, Tuttle Twins, the first cartoon series to teach kids principles of freedom, economics, and liberty, and to be funny in the process. Nowadays, hidden political agendas are constantly forced on your kids in entertainment and in schools. Tuttle Twins is a hilarious cartoon series that teaches kids about the principles of freedom without being overly preachy. It's educational and hilarious, and there are lots of jokes for adults too. The best part? You can watch Tuttle Twins entirely for free. Just go to TuttleTwins.tv, that is TuttleTwins, T-U-T-T-L-E-T-W-I-N-S dot TV, and over there you can watch all of the episodes for free. One more time, that's TuttleTwins.tv. Highly recommend it. Go check it out. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Now, on today's episode, we have got on a wonderful guest. She is the host of The O Show. She is massive in the world of crypto, and she is a YouTuber, and this is the one and only Wendy O. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I am very excited to chat with you, and yeah, we've, we've followed each other for quite some time, so I'm hyped to talk to you. Most definitely. So I've done a real brief intro right there, Wendy, but to give a little background for people who are not familiar with who you are and what you do, tell them a little bit about you. So I go by Windio on the interwebs. I got into crypto end of 2017, and I was able to grow the largest crypto female YouTube channel in the world, which is very, very impressive for myself. So I'm very proud of myself. Um, before I got into crypto, I actually worked in infectious disease, HIV AIDS. I managed patient care, coordinated their care. That particular demographic is very, very special. Um, there's a lot of very interesting people that come out of that demographic. And one thing about HIV AIDS, it doesn't discriminate against race, gender, or anything like that. If you, you know, if you participate in certain activities, um, stuff happens. So it's, it's kind of a, 
my, my client base was very, very interesting. And I loved every single one of my clients. Most of them were really, really amazing people. And I am a mom and I talk crypto. I talk finance, like all different types of stuff. And I, you know, I had a rough upbringing, very interesting upbringing in Los Angeles, California, County of LA. So yeah, that's a little bit about me, what I do. And I don't know if I mentioned, but I'm the mother to an amazing five-year-old daughter. And being a mom is probably the coolest job that I do have. Awesome. Well, there's so much interesting stuff that we can get into there. If you're happy to, can you share a little bit more about your background? Because it's always interesting to know how people got to where they are. Because oftentimes, especially in the social media age, we just find and discover people typically once they've reached a certain level and people think you've just kind of appeared, but it's always interesting to dig back into the story a little bit to see how people got where they are and why they think the way that they do. I'm actually happy that you asked that question because I feel that most of us aren't able to share our stories to an extent because, you know, people start following you and they assume that they know you. They look at you and they're like, okay, well, this person looks like this, so I'm going to classify them as this. But in reality, my background is very, very interesting, like my personal life, which I, I talk about it a little bit. And I'm one of those people on social media that what I post is what I'm feeling at the time. I don't have a brand. I don't stick to a script. Um, I'm very, I'm very outspoken. I have no filter. I mean, I'm a little bit more reserved these days because, you know, I do have a large following, but at the same time, I'm very expressive about my opinions. And I like to give everybody a fair shake. The way I like to judge people is not based off of how they look, who they are. Well, who they are. Yes. But I have to meet somebody like I can meet somebody that's super, super famous, or I can literally meet somebody from the streets. And unless I get to know you, then I'll be able to make a judgment call on your personality or who you are. And then if I don't like you, we don't vibe, we don't vibe. But at mm. the same time, I'm not interested in judging a single person based off of like a particular group. Cause a lot of times people look at a group and they're like, okay, well this group, I don't like them because of this. But in actuality, when you do that, you're discounting all of the good that you could get out of that person and the positive network aspect or heck, maybe they just might do something to change the rest of your life. So I learned that when I was in healthcare. But part of how I got to where I got to is from a lot of the trauma that I experienced growing up. I, my dad passed away when I was seven. Well, when I was 11 years old, my parents split when I was seven. And my parents came from a little bit of money. My dad was pretty successful in traditional finance once him and my mom split because my dad got sick. Um, we ended up moving from a brand new home into a two-bedroom townhome with my great aunt and my grandma. So my mom, my two sisters, and I, we shared a room until I was 18, from 7 to 18. And we lived in an area that was classified as kind of like like the lower class, like lower middle class suburbs. But where I lived in California, in LA County, depending on what street or what neighborhood you go on, you're going to meet very interesting people. So I grew up in a townhome that was behind or in front of Section 8 apartments. And most of the people that lived there came from like the streets of LA. So there's a lot of gang fighting. There's a lot of violence that occurred. And the area I grew up, there's a lot of drug use and alcoholism. So mm -hmm. I had to kind of, you know, navigate through all that stuff growing up. And then when I got to be 18. I went out. I moved to Hollywood. Um, I met a musician, moved in with him. We had a very, very interesting turmoil, tumultuous relationship. <laughs> I said, I totally butchered that. So I got to see a lot of what happened like in the music industry and, you know, just with different people in Hollywood. So I had a very interesting upbringing. And then I knew also um, came in contact with a lot of people from the streets <laughs> and there's a lot of terrible things that happened. There was also a lot of good things that happened because I learned to kind of navigate and to kind of read people. And that helped me 
work in the industry in healthcare. And the reason why that was so important is because when you work in healthcare, people just, the healthcare system in the United States isn't, it isn't equal. It isn't equal at all. It is a hundred percent for profit. And it is healthcare to me is probably the biggest scam. Like a lot of people in crypto, like fiat is the biggest scam. Oh my God. No healthcare is the biggest scam because people are not treated. Um, they don't diagnose you based on like as an individual, it's like as a group of people, like if you're mm. X, Y, and Z, oh, you're more prone to this, this and that. And they don't really pay attention to outliers because it's too expensive to pay attention to outliers. And my upbringing and being able to relate to people, um, hang out with a lot of different people from all different backgrounds helped me thrive in healthcare and be able to take care of my clients. And because my client base was so diverse, like I had, and we also offered HIV testing at the site that I worked at in healthcare. So we would have straight men coming in, um, getting tested for HIV, which is very, very taboo. We would have women coming in because their partners were cheating on them. Generally, their partners were cheating on them with, you know, gay men or whatever mm -hmm. it was. Um, we had, you know, like gay, lesbian, trans, all different types of people coming in, people that were diagnosed, people from all different backgrounds. And I had to learn to to speak to them. And when I mean speak to them, I mean to relate to them, learn who they were, learn about their background. Because if you just judge a person by their group, you're not, you're, you're, you're doing healthcare incorrectly. It's healthcare is about kind of specializing care for your patient. So mm -hmm. because I learned, because I had such a diverse upbringing, I was around so many different people from so many backgrounds from like, you know, people with a lot of money to musicians, to artists, to gang members, to people on the streets, to people doing all kinds of crazy stuff to successful people, I had to kind of, I was able to take that and incorporate it into my care. And I think that's what kind of makes me unique and different in crypto. So I took that approach of just showcasing kindness to everybody. And I kind of started my journey in crypto. It taught me how to network. It taught me how to talk to people, show compassion, listen. And then I was able to eventually, you know, start my YouTube channel and that got exciting. People liked what I had to say. And I just kept posting content, posting charts, hosting free events and kind of being an advocate for the underdogs. Cause that's where I come from. I come from poverty. I come from trauma. I come from, you know, things that were kind of out of my control. And mm -hmm. I think it's important for people to see that, especially in crypto, because people look at folks that are in crypto. Oh, you're rich. You have this, you have that. You got an early. No, my life was not easy. I did not come from upper middle-class family. I came from a very poor family. I came from strife. I came from a lot of negativity. I was raised by all women. So I didn't have that strong male, male force in my life to kind of help navigate that. And that's important for women. And a lot of people discount the importance of the nuclear family, but it helped pushed and molded me to become who I am today, not take no for an answer, showcase kindness and respect, decency, but also set boundaries and not let somebody tell me you can't do this because you come from here because you're this. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Something that struck me with a lot of what you said there, I mean, there's a, a lot of things, but there are many things you said there, which I feel like they should be common sense right? You were talking about judging people as individuals and not as groups. Uh, this, hopefully if we've learned, learn one lesson from history, we should, we should know the dangers of, uh, of doing that. Um, or more like not doing that, shall we say, judging people, you know, not as individuals and just having this collectivist attitude, but we seem to be living in this era, which I talk about a lot, you're vocal about where common sense, seems to be becoming increasingly rare. Common sense is no longer common sense. People are afraid. We live in an era of fear. People are afraid to state the truth. People are afraid to state 
their opinions. People are afraid to have conversations with people who uh, may disagree with them on certain things or may differ from them in certain ways. So where do you think all of that is coming from, in your opinion and estimation? And I guess, secondly, how do we progress out of this? Part of the problem that we see with society is people are scared. People are scared of being canceled. People are scared of hurting other people's feelings. Back when I was growing up, because I'm a little bit older, um, I'm over 30. But back when I was growing up, comedy was <laughs> comedy. <laughs> comedy. I, I love the way you said that. I'm like over I'm over 30, 30 plus. But um, but comedy was fun. Like I literally remember how offensive stuff was. Like you would you would watch Saturday Night Live and it was super offensive, but mm -hmm. it was so funny and every like they literally made fun of every single group. And also a little bit of background about me: I am half Sicilian on my mother's side, and I am half Romanian German Jew on my father's side. Which mm. those groups generally do not mix together at all. They're not supposed to mix together. And a lot of people, and I'm only like second or third generation American. And a lot of people don't understand when Sicilians actually came to America, they were not treated <laughs> well, any way, shape or mm -hmm. form, like at all. Um, but I think that people are scared to be offensive and it's okay to express your opinion and it might hurt some feelings, but I feel like showcasing decency is important being kind of aware. But at the same time, we're in this era where we have the internet and I think the internet is a beautiful thing, but it's also a very dangerous thing because mm. it allows too many people to express opinions without them thinking too fast. And I'm all for critical thinking. I'm all for people expressing their opinion, but I literally can get any one of my phones and I can tweet super fast and be like, whatever it is. And without, without, I, I can read a headline and then I react and I tweet it out and it's mm -hmm. just, it's just pure emotions. So instead of me digesting information, be like, okay, well, I'm going to call my mom first, talk to her. I'm going to talk to my friends. I'm going to do this. I'm going to wait for my modem to kick in. Cause back in the AOL days, you had the modem that was plugged into the wall. <laughs> if you wanted to, if you wanted to post something on MySpace, you had to wait like 20 minutes for your computer to load. Get your, get your mom off the phone first. Exactly. And yeah. then she'd be like, why are you on the, please me and my sister, <laughs> me and my sisters used to fight, please. <laughs> But I think that people just are so scared of being canceled or so scared of what other people think that they're they don't want to speak out and they don't want to talk out because cancel culture is a real thing. And it's a scary thing, because like mm -hmm. imagine imagine saying I like the color blue and then all of a sudden liking the color blue is associated with a particular hate group like mm you they're going to cancel you and that's kind of silly because it's literally just the color blue but at the same time there's people that love the color blue they hold it as a very high standard or even the color pink so sorry he, sorry to jump in do you, do you know what's so funny about that what is that for over a decade my entire music career and even prior to me doing music really like purple has always been my brand color nice right? like my, my my merchandise my logos like i've always had purple so I, have a, I have a purple van with with my name on it right and in the past year i've had some crazy people on the internet start trying to associate the fact that i like the color purple with some sort of like illuminati or freemasonry or devil worship or something like that um <laughs> but you would think I see people online trying to draw these weird connections and saying, oh, look, like he's got like he's wearing he's wearing purple in this. And like they're trying to connect like the weirdest dots. And okay. we, I don't know, we, we just there's a lot of crazy people out there. And as your profile grows, you come across more and more of them. So okay, that I'm, example was just kind of funny to me. I'm just trying to like associate the color purple with something actually like in a like I don't like in a bat. Oh, there, there's crazy people who say it's the color of deception. 
Okay, That's, so they're... Um, I've, I've read some of their threads, and apparently purple is the color of deception. And um, so I apparently use purple because I'm controlled opposition. They never explain who I'm controlled by. Um, but okay. And sometimes when I rap, I move my hands. So sometimes they'll like freeze frame a video of me rapping and, you know, my, my hand is, I don't know, like this. And they're like, look at his hands. And he's got a purple background on Twitter and he's got a lot of followers. And he went on Joe Rogan. Illuminati. So so you're part Sicilian then because we talk with our hands. Oh, it, so do Nigerians. <laughs> it's a very common thing. Like if you talk with the Sicilian, like if you come to Sunday dinner, we're yeah. like, we're literally like this with our hands and people on TikTok, they're like, why, why are you moving your hands? I'm like, because that's part of like, I don't know if it's my <laughs> genetics. It's, it's literally the culture. Like if you're, if your Sicilian mother screams at you, you're going to be getting hit the hand gestures. Like mm. that's what it is. But it just, but I feel like people are scared and they, and it's also too herd mentality and herd mentality is a very, very scary thing. And we're seeing more and more herd mentality happening in 2022 than we did back then, than we did in the eighties and we did in the nineties and we did in the early two thousands. I feel like 2010 was when we started getting that. We started just kind of slowly see some sort of cancel culture forming. And I want to say it started happening after like 2017, because that's when I left my job in healthcare. And that's when we started to see people get really, really upset about everything, like literally mm -hmm. everything, anything possible. That's when people got upset. And that's kind of when my job, when I, my job stopped, not like my job was, I, I loved what I did, but one of the reasons why I left is because of the long drive. But I worked with like, I worked with most of my clients were gay men and they were gay men, like black gay men, white gay men, like Latinos, like people like everywhere, like um, mm -hmm. Middle Eastern, everywhere. But my, those that was most of my client base. And then, of course, we did have some outliers. There were some straight folks, um, men and women, et cetera. We did have a couple trans folks. So, but I felt like that's when the culture started shifting. Like, tw I want to say like 2015. And that's that's when my company integrated like the sensitivity training and all that type mm -hmm. of stuff in, mm -hmm. which for what I did for work, I felt that that was important to do. That was important to do because we're dealing with that particular population. But some mm. of these companies that are integrating all this other like whatever, it's it to me it's to me it's silly because you're not real you're not necessarily dealing with that population hands on. Like I had 2 to 300 patients I managed every month and most of that population they were gay men. So obviously mm. I needed to learn more about the culture to be able to relate to them because at the end of the day my job was providing them quality care and I cannot provide somebody quality health care unless I know a little bit about them and their culture. But I feel like 2015, 2017 was the time that we started to really see this, this cancel culture and the herd mentality. And if you supported Trump or if you supported Obama or if you supported this person or that person, then people would start to classify you and put you into groups. Like I had a client scream in my face at work because I said I supported a libertarian candidate and he absolutely lost his stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, like a libertarian is like down the middle, like that should be okay to, you know, if somebody asks you who you're voting for, like you would mm -hmm. think that that's okay, but they got so mad. And I'm like, okay, well, I know not to just to say, yeah, I, I, I would know to have to redirect the question. Like, who are you voting for? Oh, you're voting for so-and-so. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I support your right to choose who you want to vote for. And I would have to like re kind of push the conversation to them so they wouldn't like have meltdowns. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it is that that was the turning point? I mean, I, I think it started kicking off earlier than that. And the seeds have been planted many, many decades ago. But why, why do you think that mid 2000s, all of this really started getting 
aggressive and weird because if, if we just rewind a decade ago, um, 2012, sure, the world was not, the world's not, the world's never been perfect. There's always been uh, weird things. There's always been conflict and division and issues. That's the story of all human history, no matter what country you're in. But I certainly saw the same thing. I mean, I'm from the UK, you're from the US, but certainly across the Western world in the past six to seven years, there's been a real increase in anger and outrage and people seeing creating false dichotomies everywhere and these false binaries like your example there someone hearing you supported a libertarian candidate would it be fair for me to assume this person is a left-leaning democrat or yes yeah they were yeah yeah so people's inability to see anything it's either you're for this or you're for with the thing i'm for or you are totally opposed to it and therefore you're a bad person and it seems like even 10 years ago people were more nuanced than that there was less lazy thinking like just throwing people in this category and you know not even being able to have that maturity to agree to disagree right i mean we all have agree disagreements there's almost 8 billion people in the world and there's no two people who agree 100% on absolutely everything and i feel like my whole life anyway, that was always okay. Sure, it came to head sometimes and there was conflict sometimes, but it wasn't like, you know, I mean, literally this morning as we record this, I mean, I go on Twitter and I'm literally seeing, you know, multiple people like wishing death on people they disagree with politically, right? And and just saying it and you're, you're just looking through the comments and people are like agreeing and you're just, and then you click on this person's profile and, you know, it's hashtag be kind, um, you know, hashtag, right? And you're just, I'm like, what do you, what's going on here? Like that didn't used to be, I know it's still rare, but it's becoming more common. So this is the thing. And I agree with you. Like we've had seeds planted and things kind of have, and I really feel like a lot of this is the deterioration of the nuclear family. And Mm -hmm. to be clear, I want like, to be clear, I love both men and women. I think both men and women are beautiful. I think that, well, you know, I have to say, I have to. And you're also suggesting there's only two. I am suggesting there's only two. Uh oh. And okay, we can we can we can, talk, we can talk we can talk about that. We can talk about it. And I'm gonna explain because I come okay. I come from a place like I love I love men and women. I love humans. I mm-hmm. think people deserve the right to be happy. And I deserve people I believe people deserve the right to showcase to if you don't like somebody, you don't have to deal with them, you don't have to talk to them. But I also feel like you should show some sort of decency to almost every human. The only people that I the only people that I'm very strong that I will come out strongly and say they're that completely no, like hats off are pedophiles and mm-hmm. rapists and mm-hmm. that's it like if you if you harm a child i don't care i don't care i there there's no like to me that's no because there's sound two, like fair those are fair lines yeah i mean those are the only two th- those are the only two things that i've got a problem with and rape goes again for men and women because that does happen to men too it's a, a topic that a lot a whole lot of people don't talk about but it does happen women cases in women are more common but I do believe that seeds are planted. So if you want to have a same-sex marriage and raise your kids and be good parents and not introduce them to weird stuff, people do that and kids come out fine. And I'm not here. I'm not a person to sit here and say, you can't do this. You can't do that. However, if you are actively harming a child, then that's where I kind of draw the line. And I've mm-hmm. actually, I've seen people do not nice things to their kids, like in public where they're screaming and yelling at them or where I feel like the child's unsafe. And I, I've stepped in before and been like, hey, is everything okay here? And I've 
kind of watched and observed to make mm. sure that things were okay because there's a lot of stuff that happens inside the home. But I feel like you know we we've started to see the seeds planted for a long time, and that ultimately started with the with the deterioration of the nuclear family. It, to me, I do think it is better to have a man and a woman in the household as parents because you're going to get. Thing, women are able to provide things that men can't and men can provide things that women can't. For example, mm -hmm. my daughter, when she is in trouble and I reprimand her, what she's like, whatever, your mom, whatever. When her dad reprimands her, completely new ball game. She's like, it's where the buck stops. It's where the buck stops. So it's, it's yeah. so important to have two parents in the family, two, two parents in the household, preferably a man or a woman. I'm not here to judge anybody else. But I think that that, kind of started shifting this behavior also too. I think that a lot of people in America will say racism, racism, racism. And, you know, that's a fair thing to say. There are those issues that do happen. But at the same time, I feel like it's more of a wealth gap that a lot of people aren't willing to talk about that we're seeing occurring. And that wealth gap happens because our it has to do with our public school system in the United States government. Our public school system is not set up to teach critical thinking. Our public school system is set up to, see, to, to, to showcase basic math, English, history, which whoever, if you even want to call that history, because it's so mm -hmm. distorted, but where our kids are not being taught to think for themselves, to stand up for themselves and to, to, to have critical thinking. And I think that's where we're seeing a lot of these problems with the herd mentality, because if you don't have humans that are able to critically think and to understand what personal finance is, then you're going to have all these groups of people that remain poor and that remain, um, however, however it is. And yes, you can break yourself out of those patterns, but again, there's, there's a lot of subgroups. There's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of different things that happens. And that kind of is a top, like a longer stemming topic that I'm happy to come on and talk about another time. But I just feel like it kind of started with the school system, with the public school system, that they've just removed so many important aspects. And in the United States, a lot of people don't realize. And you, you said you grew up in the UK, correct? I grew up in Saudi Arabia. Okay. But, I have um, a question. Well, Saudi Arabia and the UK. Question for you. What subjects were you taught were hit heavy on in Saudi Arabia when you were growing up? So in Saudi Arabia, I was in the American school system. Uh, okay. I went to an international school. So I was in the American school system from kindergarten to fifth grade. And then when I was 11 years old, I went to boarding school in the UK and transitioned out the American system into the British one. Um, primary subjects. I mean, I, first thing I'll say is the school I went to in Saudi was was great. You know, I, 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 I rip on public schools myself and I, I hear, I mean, the school I went to wouldn't, wouldn't technically really be a public school in the truest sense because yeah anyway it's it's, it's kind of weird to get into but um in terms of subjects it was, it was maths science mm -hmm. uh english um geography was math social, what they called social studies which was kind of history yeah sorry yeah go ahead was math and so were the stem subjects math and science primarily were those hit hard hit hard in what way were, were, were those emphasized? Because, a lot of focus, yeah. Yeah, because in Los Angeles school system, and from what I know from the public school system in California, mm. math and science are not, we, we don't focus on them. We focus on arts oh, and, and so, different types of social things. Um, mm. They're not, and I know for a fact, because when I, when I worked in healthcare, I worked alongside like doctors and pharmacists, people that are really, really smart. And most of them were immigrants. Most of them came from Russia or from Georgia mm. or from India or from... Um, in all these all these other countries but there's especially in russia their mm -hmm. schools hit so hard on math so yeah. so hard on math so when I, I remember i wanted to become a pharmacist and if you want to become a pharmacist you have to do a lot of math classes math is not my strong suit at all mm -hmm. 
any way, shape or form. And that's okay. Cause we're all different. But I remember asking for help, like tutoring from the pharmacist on staff or the doctor that was on staff. Like, can you help me solve this? And they're like, well, this is how we do it in Russia, or this is how we do it in Pakistan, or this is how we do it in India. So mm. they were, they're taught very heavily to critical think because math teaches you critical thinking. It really does. Yes. Cause you have to figure, cause math is hard and you have to figure out how to solve specific problems and to it's do also objective. Things. Exactly. So we don't we don't have that in the United States. If you want to get that in the United States, you have to pay a lot of money to get it because our mm. public schools, even though we pay a lot of money in tax dollars and they're funded by taxpayers, our public servants, for some reason, can't seem to figure it out and provide a school system that is similar to what they're learning in China, in Asia, in Saudi Arabia, in where wherever else in the country. And that's a big problem, too, because we're so focused in America on aesthetics and social and history than we are mm. math and realistically every single major in school you have to have some sort of math background to fully navigate and get it get ahead and that's why we have so many people coming to the united states that are able to get in all these 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 great schools like for stem and for healthcare because they have this strong math background and mm -hmm. this is doing actually a disservice to the united states people because when you because a lot of these a lot of people that are very smart in math their minds work differently than some of us that are smart in like social skills. Like I have really mm -hmm. good social skills, but I'm not the best in math. And I saw doctors and pharmacists that came from other places be super smart in math, but didn't know how to treat patients because they didn't have those social skills because they didn't, those weren't hit heavily on growing up. So it makes mm -hmm. no sense the way our system is set up in the United States. But I think that's why we have this cancel culture and that's why I feel like there's a shift of things that have changed since like, you know, 2010 or 2015 or even prior mm. to that. Did there used to be more of a focus on math and science in the past? Is that something that's changed just over the course of our lifetime? Cause I'm not, I'm, I don't know all that much, honestly, about the American school system. And I, I see bits and pieces about what's going on right now. But when I think back to, you know, myself being in school, whether, you know, both at an American school and then a private British school, you know, the experience I had was was good and it was positive. And there, well, there wasn't all the weird indoctrination stuff. It was much more academic focused across the board. You know, I did art and music as well. But I think art and music classes, I want to say, were like once or twice a week. Um, and then the the basic stuff, the maths, English, all that, that was pretty much every single day. Um, and then when I went to the UK, I'd say it was even, there was even more focus on those and science was broken up and split into three subjects, biology, physics, and chemistry. And I remember when I went into the UK system, I was a little bit behind on math. Um, and then there was more focus put on it. But um, I don't know, is that something that's, is that something that's changed in the USA in terms of the public school curriculum? From what my mom has told me, she said that the school, like the way the schools were set up back, like in the 60s, 70s, were so much different. They were the, mm. like, you actually had to work really, really hard. And she said, like, not everybody was cut out for college. The only people that went to college were those that were actually intelligent enough to go, like mm -hmm, books, mm -hmm. book wise, um, because they wouldn't accept you. Like today, you can literally go to a community college, which is fine. Like people could do whatever they want to do. I'm not judging. But she said that if you wanted to go to college, you had to be smart. Like people yeah. that graduated from college back then, you had to be really, really smart. And she said that the the type of studies that we have today are like, they're super, they're super easy. They're super chill. Um, like my daughter, she does go to private school for that reason, because I do, mm -hmm. and it's a STEM focused school. And I, cause I do want her to get that, that education. Um, 
because I know how important math is, but it has changed and it keeps eroding and eroding and eroding. Our class sizes get bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's like, like, for example, LA County, we have so much money, so much money, but our schools mm -hmm. are literally like three to seven stars. There's some outliers there. And these are out of 10. There's some outliers where they're nine, nine or eight, but those are really expensive, super, super expensive neighborhoods. You're not gonna be able to get a home there for under a million dollars, which most people mm -hmm. can't afford that. So I, I do think that, that, that is a problem that we're seeing as we're focused. The United States likes to fo focus more on um, social stuff than it does actual education. Yeah, absolutely. Switching the subject a little bit, Wendy, how do you think becoming a mother has changed your perspective? Because I know that's something that's very important to you. It's something you talk about a lot. And how do you think that shapes and alters your perspective on a lot of things? As the day that I became a mom, well, first, I didn't, I planned to have my daughter. It was very important because I used to party. I used to have a lot of fun. But one of the things that I was like super adamant about, I am not getting pregnant until I do X, Y, and Z. There's particular things that I needed to do as a person because I wanted to make sure I had a safe environment for my daughter. And plus I wanted to make, I wanted to pick the correct partner too. I was really worried and nervous about, you know, cause you know, you hear these horror stories of couples that are together, they split or there's all these crazy things that happen. I did not want that for my daughter. I wanted her mm -hmm. like whatever happens between me and her dad, that's, you know, that's our business as us, but I wanted to make sure it was in a controlled environment to where there was boundaries set and things were going to be okay that she had, like, you know, we were at a particular place financially. So we planned for her. We had her and I used to be like, you know, I've always been like, like just kind of super chill and whatever. But now as a parent, like there's things that I'm more strict on. Like mm -hmm. I see all this stuff that comes out in the news, like about, about women, um, about transgenderism, about um, women's rights about inequality between women. And before I didn't really care about that. I was like, you know, cause I, I grew up with a lot of guy friends. Most of my friends were musicians and I was always like, like, like the homie, like the friend that would come and hang out or whatever. And so they treated me like one of the guys. But then mm -hmm. after I had my daughter, I started noticing differences in society about that. And I was like, okay, well, because I have a daughter, I need to, I need to let my voice be heard. And I need to make sure I, I stand up for particular things because if I don't stand up and if I don't say anything, then this type of stuff is going to continue to happen. And then she's going to think that this is okay. And that's not okay. Like I don't dress provocatively online. I, you're not going to like, sometimes I'll post selfies and stuff like that, but I don't dress super provocative. And one of the reasons why I have a daughter and mm. she looks back and she's like, mommy looks like a whore. Then <laughs> I don't, I don't want her like, if, like if I have my, like my behind or my things out too much, like, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm a woman, I want to feel sexy. Women like that attention, but at the same time I try to do it as tastefully as possible. And I think, I think before I post, is this going to like, is she going to see this and say, mm -hmm. Oh my God, you know, like, you know, this is, makes me uncomfortable. And, you know, people could do whatever they want as their business, but that was, that's something for me that that's important. Um, and I sure. also, I also like to, to, you know, there are differences in gender, but there's certain things that I, that I, that I really care about now. And I used to think, oh, okay, like, like boys treat girls the same, like we're all friends, blah, blah, blah. That's not the case now. There are differences that, that do happen. And, you know, for the most part, I believe that, people should be treated equal, but in reality, not everybody in society feels that way. And I do have to be aware of that as a woman, especially when I'm doing business in a very male dominated space. And mm -hmm. 
for me, it's important to kind of teach my daughter about that stuff as the time arises, but make sure I'm teaching her this stuff, not some random person I don't know teaching her. And that's another thing too, is like one of the reasons why she goes to private school that is a Christian school. I'm not super religious, but at the same time, I think that religion can be a positive thing for a lot of people, whether you believe in crystals, whether you believe in a God, whether you believe in manifesting universe, whatever it is, but some foundation is important for for people to kind of believe in, to have, to have, to change your mindset. So I want to make sure that she's in a safe environment that's going to promote like positivity, growth and intelligence. Mm -hmm. And I'm very, I'm very like, when I see all this crazy stuff in the news, I'm just like, it, it really rubs me the wrong way, especially with the, with, with, and I'm going to, I'm just going to come out and say it. The thing that bothers me the most as a woman is seeing transgender women participate in, or I don't even like, seeing them participate in women's sports and think that that's okay. And think that they're, mm -hmm. they're, they're winning, that they're succeeding. It's actually do. It's actually very detrimental and dangerous to women. Very, very detrimental and dangerous. A lot of people might not know this, but the leading cause of death in women, like the last 50, 60 years and up until recently was childbirth. Mm -hmm. That says, a, that like says a lot, like on our, the difference in biology, literally by giving life, because, you know, men are a part of the childbirth process also because they help, you know, they're, they're there to help create. Mm -hmm. But women are taking more of a risk because we're carrying this child in our body. And the fact that women's health is still not where it needs to be, but we're we're here and we're allowing people to participate in women's sports. And we think that that's OK. We think that it's being inclusive. It's not being inclusive. It's actually it's actually canceling women and it's destroying everything that every single woman in the past history have fought for what regardless of their their background or their race. Like, you know, there's been different struggles for different cultures and for different people, different races. But at the same time, at, at the end of the day, we're all women and we're all here to be women and i feel mm -hmm. like this whole thing that we're seeing in the media and that this is okay and people are accepting it is actually very dangerous to women very very dangerous to women because i'm a, and i'm also a boxer i'm a female boxer i do mm -hmm. not compete but let's say i wanted to, let's say i wanted to compete in the ring with you <laughs> Let, let's face it let's face it you're you're gonna win you yeah. will win 100 i might be able to get a lick in one or two in maybe mm -hmm. For me to knock you down, I would really, I would have to catch you really well in the chin yeah. over here or up here. And I would mm -hmm. have to, I would have to throw, throw my whole entire like beard. And you, it. and you'd also need to not catch one. <laughs> I would need to not catch one. I would have yeah. to get out of the way. And my footwork is not the best. Okay. So, but at the same time, let, let's, let's think of it this way. I'm with a man in a relationship. Mm -hmm. We get into a domestic dispute. He mm -hmm. hits me. That's illegal, mm -hmm. but it's legal for a man, for a woman and a transgendered man to be in the ring and, and for that person to hit me, that's mm -hmm. legal. That's it. like, these are, that's some really kinky stuff. Like it just, it's, 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 it's not okay. And no. I need to speak out about it because what happens if my daughter decides that she wants to be a boxer? Mm -hmm. I boxing is great for mental health. It's great therapy. It is great. A great physical activity. I think it, it's an amazing tool that really helped me break a lot of the, sh the stress and the trauma that I had faced in the past. But as if she wants to become a boxer, but part mm -hmm. of her becoming a boxer is getting in the ring with a boy. Yes. I'm not okay with a man hitting my woman because of a, or my daughter. If a man hits my daughter, I'm going to go to that guy's house and he's going to keep, you know, I'm going to, th there's a different type of rage that's involved with you mess with my kid. Mama bear comes sure. out, you know, but how is that okay? And I think like we see all this stuff in the media and it's actually really sad to see that women are essentially being erased. Our healthcare is not, the fact that our healthcare is not where it's supposed to be. And we're told we don't have veins in our serve or we don't have nerves in our cervix and that we don't feel pain there. 
the fact that oh, we don't have well, I'm not I'm not I'm not familiar with that. Apparently, I've had there's there's doctors that have told women because when you get the I, the IUD, they put it into your cervix. Apparently, there's no nerve endings there, and so you shouldn't feel pain. But it's actually a very painful process. Okay. Sometimes, and I'll be a little bit graphic here. Sometimes putting a tampon is it can be painful at times. Like, That's and people not surprising. I would assume that it could be for sure. Well, I mean, so for example, topics like that are not discussed a whole lot. Like mm. we we don't we really women's health, like a woman being on her period is very very taboo. Most men aren't sure. comfortable speaking about it. And sometimes it's a cultural thing, but that's okay. But the fact that women's health is not is not prioritized first, but we're we're so focused on allowing men to compete against women and women's health not being where it needs to be, that's a problem to me. It's very problematic because mm. I had a very traumatic experience during my childbirth with my daughter mm. and to me, it's like we need to kind of prioritize what happens. If somebody wants to, to transition to a woman, great. I support you. That's fine. But you still should not be able to compete against a woman. Your your genealogy is way better and you're going to win. Yeah. Man, there's so there's so many interesting potential directions <laughs> to go on this one. I'm I don't even know where to where to begin on this. I mean, again, it's it's so odd to me because we're living in this very strange time in the modern western world like i said before where common sense has become uncommon one of the most basic and fundamental objective truths of reality this isn't just for human beings but it goes across the animal kingdom is that males and females are different boys and girls are different men and women are different and i think it's important the second part and that's fine and that's good and I think the word equality gets bastardized a lot mm -hmm. because it has a lot of meanings. It's actually a very semantically overloaded word because equality means a lot of things. I mean, are all human beings equal? In one sense, yes, from a sort of religious or spiritual or even legal perspective. Yes, everyone, everyone's life is of equal value. We, sh we should treat everyone's life as if they have equal value. And that's the basis actually of even our legal systems and a lot of morality and ethics, right? But in another sense, as we all know and acknowledge, even by using terms like diversity or just existing in real life, human beings are very unequal. We're unequal in all sorts of ways, from height to weight, to appearance, to, um, everything personality we we think differently we act differently y'all have different characters no two people in the world are actually identical even identical twins have differences in their personalities and in their preferences so even the most visually equal people in the world are are very different and it's it's weird and i think this gets corrupted a lot when we're talking about gender dynamics and i think this has been this sort of battle and confusion that's been raging on for decades where People are pushing equal to this. I don't even know the way to put it, right? It's we're supposed to simultaneously, it gets confusing because it seems like in modern society, you're supposed to believe that men and women are the same, but different, but also neither one exists and they're social constructs. Do you want to know why why we have that in 2022? Tell me. It's a wealth gap. It's wealth inflation. Gap. Okay. It's a wealth gap. It's inflation. It is 
is the way money has evolved. And the reason why, if you look at families back in mm -hmm. the 50s, 60s, 70s, maybe 80s, and of course, there was a lot of racial inequality that occurred back then too. So I'm not taking that out of account. I'm just giving like a generalized statement. A man and a woman got married. Mm -hmm. A man was able to go to work, even at, you know, maybe at earning a wage that was a little bit more than minimum wage. He was able to pay for mm -hmm. food, shelter, clothing for his family and his kids. Mm -hmm. Now, if both parents are not working, you can't live. In California, in LA County, you can't even to rent a room. It's like $1,000 a month to rent a room. Mm -hmm. And like even in the hood, forget mm -hmm. it. Like houses are still half a million dollars in the hood, $600,000 in the hood. And that's a mortgage payment of like close to $3,000. Who can afford that on yeah. making making $20 an hour? So to me, part of these issues that are occurring and putting women back in the workforce, which at the same time, another another belief that I have, gender dynamics can be whatever, like can be whatever a couple wants them to be, whatever a couple is comfortable with. Like they say that there's a person for everybody. So you simply find somebody that you're attracted to, that person is attracted to you, and you guys kind of have similar beliefs. Okay, like you want to be the breadwinner and I'll be, I'll stay at home with the kids or vice versa. Great. But I do think we do need one parent at home. However you want however you want to put that. And at the same time we shouldn't tell people that needs to be the man or the woman. Let each couple figure that out because it's not our damn business. It's not. But realistically, the way money has evolved in the United States has made it so that we need to have two parents working instead of one. And it is very important to have a caretaker at home for the family. And the cool thing about, I guess, gender dynamics or whatever, is mm -hmm. that you have the provider that's out there working, bringing money home. The person that's staying home can then take that money to budget, buy food, pay the mortgage, whatever it is, and make sure the family is taken care of. The family is so, so important because we need, we need to, we need to procreate to, to produce not only for our lineage, but also the world needs to be populated mm -hmm. and we need somebody like, who's going to watch those kids. Who's going to watch those kids. It's a full-time job for somebody. It is a full-time job. And that's why it's important to have, you know, somebody that's working or somebody that's staying home. If you want to work, like I work, we, uh, me and her dad, we both work. And mm -hmm. that's our business. That's what we do. And that's what works for us. I get to work from home. And, but, but there's somebody that's always there for her. And I think that that's probably the biggest problem in America is the wealth gap, which is due to the government and due to inflation and due to all of these things. Do you think it's intentional? Of course it is. Okay. It's easier to keep people poor than it is to have them thrive. If they wanted people to thrive, they would teach personal finance at school. I didn't right. learn personal finance in school. I didn't learn what APR was. I didn't learn what APY is. I didn't know um, how much, how long it would take me to to pay debt off. When I went to college, they says you need to take out student loans. I was like, I was in community college because mm -hmm. I had, I was kind of, I was a kind of a mess when I was younger, and I started community college <laughs> later. Um, so when I went, when I went back to school, they're like, okay, well, you need to finish in two years, and I was like, I can't finish in two years. I have to have a full time job. They're like, well, you just take a loan out and you go, you go to four year university, and I'm like. So you want me to take out $40,000, $60,000 loan, $100,000, whatever it was to go to a university, which I don't even know what major I want to major in, and I need to pay this debt back. And they they literally were throwing, they would like, you know, when you go to a strip club and you make it rain? <laughs> and that's what I felt. I, I don't personally know, but yeah. Well, they're, I've, they're I've seen rap videos. I've seen rap they're, videos. They're fun. They're fun. They're <laughs> you, go to, you go to a strip club and you make it rain with the with the with the dollar bills. Well, you go into the 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 counselor's office, um, senior year of high school or 
community college and they're they're doing this with you with the damn college applications mm -hmm. that's what it feels like and they're literally pushing this debt upon you and they're not telling you and that's why there's so many people that are so mad about all this debt that they have because they mm -hmm. took out debt because they didn't learn about what debt was in school where money was so it is yeah. cheaper for the government to keep you dependent on them and now all these people that in the united states that have all these crazy student loans they are now dependent on the government to pay mm -hmm. these loans off for them or to get some sort of government funding to assist with that or because they simply can't breathe they simply can't eat because they have all they're they're literally drowning in debt and that's the system that the united states of america has created for us and it is moving in a socialist direction which some people want i personally don't want i want to go out and go get the bacon every day i want to go out i yeah. want to get the bread i want to bring it home i want to thrive i want to show my daughter to take initiative as well and yeah. it, it is easier to keep people dumb and stupid yeah and i have so many thoughts on this i could write an entire book on this on this topic that would certainly upset a lot of people it's weird because like with with these sort of topics sometimes i like on a daily basis i flip-flop multiple times between wondering whether not just the usa but the modern western world and culture um can be saved and salvaged and also i flip-flop on whether or not it 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 deserves to be because i think that like people have largely created a lot of this mess themselves individually and collectively i know that as human beings everybody always wants to blame something right the government it is hard the system, to take responsibility people, for yourself though yeah it absolutely is, but i think i i think also though collectively socio-politically and culturally a lot of the issues that we're discussing this were this was the inevitable consequence of a lot of things that people advocated for just a matter of decades ago not all of it but a lot of it and sure people don't necessarily practice second third fourth order thinking and consider okay if this is done here you know the stuff that's going on right now in 2022 what's going to be the impact for that when your daughter is 25 years old Right. A lot of people don't think of that. They're they're doing this goes for social issues, cultural issues, financial issues, the economy, all kinds of things. People do things in the here and now and often are going by emotion and what feels good at the time. And they're not thinking, OK, later down the line for the country, for the people, for individuals, what does this what does this mean? Um, and I think a lot of what we're seeing now is stuff from whether it's from the 90s or the 80s or the 70s or the 60s, certain things were put in place. And then, you know, sure, there can be because the truth is everything. Most things are always trade offs. There, there aren't many things that are all positive or all negative. Normally, it's a trade off, especially if you're talking about policies. If you put in a governmental policy which promotes this thing there might be a trade-off here there might be some downside here you you do this thing it has consequences oh you want to do a you want to lock down a country and lock down the economy and the people for a year i get ready for inflation get ready for mental health issues get ready for missed missed cancer diagnosis get ready for um you know children missing out on school and for their development right you want to make everyone wear masks for two years everyone's like oh well you know there's no downside to wearing a mask and i'm like there is are you serious of course there's a downside but people don't really do a lot of thinking. And that has to do with the public school system because mm. we do we are not taught critical thinking in our public schools. How much of that should be I mean I'll ask you this is because you're you're a parent obviously but where do you think This is another big question is how much 
responsibility lies with the parents versus the government? What should the the government be teaching and what should be an education versus what should be left to the parent? I think that's actually the crux of a lot of the deba- debates going on now, right? Like where, yeah. what are the things that parents, it's the responsibilities on parents to teach their kids about these things and the responsibility. Because if you're talking about public schools, you're you're talking about the state, you're talking about the government. And it's, um, you know, I was actually going to tweet yesterday about questioning the wisdom of sending your child. If you know that, you know, there's a lot of people who, who see a lot of these problems and they're unhappy with the curriculum and the things that are going on. And even in, even especially at university, actually, I'd say especially university, because that people spend a lot of money on that. And it's like, why would you spend tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars for your child to let's let's be real to be to be to be brainwashed right to be brainwashed to hate you and hate their country and to come out and be in debt and to be in a worse off position than maybe they were three or four years ago and people are still repeating that whilst complaining about the problem and i'm like well maybe you should look at other options maybe that worked when you were growing up, but maybe that's not the best way to do it now. So there was actually a law that they were trying to pass in California, I want to say 20 years ago. And it was basically instead, like you still have to pay your taxes because taxpayer dollars go to fund schools, which is an, which is, please don't get me started. But what they (laughs) wanted to do was, is you still pay your taxes. But what they did was, is they refunded the parent, like if you had a child, I mean, if you had a child, regardless if they went to public school or private school, because you have to pay property taxes, you have to pay all these taxes that go Mm -hmm. to school. But what they were going to do is was give a refund check to the families every year, those that had children. And then the parents could decide whether they want where where they wanted to put their kids for school so they can use that money to cover some private school tuition. Mm -hmm. And this would also remove public schools to where they're not free because the parents would have that voucher to pay and it would cover enough cost to where for particular public schools or whatever it was. But the cool thing about it is, is I think that they should actually do it, refund the refund some of the money back to the parents, let the parents decide where they want to send the kids. And that would actually push positive production and competition between schools because the schools will be like, oh, well, we don't have enough kids attending, so we're not going to get this these funds. And instead of automatically giving schools funds for doing the bare minimum, the literal bare minimum, you have the they would actually see, okay, well, they have higher higher enrollments here and they're great, their um their levels are higher in math or English or whatever it is. So maybe we need to focus on this and improve this. That's mm-hmm. so that was a really cool thing that they introduced. But of course California they said no, they shot it down. Yeah. But as far as what should be taught in school, and I'm going to give two scenarios here because this is something that happens a lot when you're when you're talking to folks that come from poverty. I personally believe in schools that they should focus on math, science, some history. Like that, that's another really hard topic to discuss because the people will debate this happened, this happened, this mm-hmm. didn't happen, and it's like what you know what is real what isn't real and that also kind of goes into folklore because like in my family being you know sicilian jew we i learned a lot of things from both sides about oppression or about you know different things that happened because my family just didn't come to america to come to america they came for reasons mm-hmm. you know so i feel like you know the, the topics that should be focused on the most are maybe trade schools, like teaching teaching a kid how to trade, like or to tra- like a trade. Home ec. I, they removed home ec, which is so silly because learning how to sew and learning how to cook is both something that boys and girls need to learn and everybody in between because 
who's going to who's going to make food for you if not you're going to go to McDonald's Everyone, and get everybody's got to eat yeah exactly so i feel like they should focus on the core things like the core mm -hmm. like physical activity um physical activity personal finance math science biology um mm -hmm. you know light history and mm -hmm. maybe you know bit like a like a business class and maybe like light social skills like depending yeah. but then it comes but then people are like, well, what about sex ed? That's important. And I'm going to, I'm going to give two scenarios here. Sex ed, um, the, the sex talk should be mainly done in the household with families. Mm -hmm. But then there's another talk that goes, some families, some parents, some kids are not born with the same, all parents, all parents are not created equal. So you might mm -hmm. have kids from a household of a particular culture, of a particular religion, of a particular wealth, where the parents aren't teaching them about what a vagina is, what a penis is, like that type of stuff. So it's like, who's going to help educate these kids or talk to them about STDs? STDs are a big, big problem. So who's going to help talk to those kids? So for me as a parent, I don't mind having light sex ed in schools. Like when my daughter turns, I think when they, they, I think when I went to school, they integrated that in, in, um, in fifth grade. And then we had it again in like 10th grade. So if it's like basic stuff, like, you know, this is what an STD is. This is what pregnancy is. This is what, um, you know, these are female organs. These are male organs. And I feel like if it's, if it just kept like super basic, mm -hmm. I don't see an issue with that. I don't mind my daughter learning about that because it is important, yeah. but at the same time, they're bringing in all this weird stuff that doesn't need to it's be ideological. Accessible. Yeah. And it's the thing is, is like, I, I'm a big, I am a big hag, like big hag. I've been a hag since I have been 13 years old. I have a lot a hag? of hag? What's a hag? A hag is actually. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. yeah. No. I, can't, I can't, I can't say that. <laughs> no, I, no, I know, I know what it is. It rhymes. I can't yeah, say the first part because you get canceled British word now. For British word for cigarette. Yeah. I can't say it because you get canceled now, but my friends, like they are you can, like. You can say it in English. This is my, this is my block, my bleep hag. Like when we yeah, go yeah, out, okay. this is my bleep hag. That's what they okay. refer to me as. I don't say it because I'm not trying to get canceled, but that's what they call me. And, yeah. and like, sometimes big, like, why, you know, like whatever, but my, my gay friends, I feel the same exact way I do. They just happen to like men. They just happy to happen to be, be with a man, but they don't want their kids around that stuff. They don't want their kids learning about all this crazy stuff. And it's like, mm. I've had my gay friends come around my daughter and they just act like regular people. They're not being super sexual. They're not being weird. They're just people. And they're, they, you know, whatever. It's not like, it's not weird. Like it's not, mm -hmm. I feel like what we see in the media is not what real life is. Cause all of all my gay friends, they're just like, they come over, we have dinner together. They come to family parties and yes. it's just cool. And everybody like, chills and hangs out but they the feel the same is, yeah I, I i've i've made this point many times on both my podcast and also on my social media which is that the what is called the lgbt movement or lgbtqiaa2sp plus whatever the heck the acronym is these days um it i'm i draw a hard i draw quite a line between gay people and the LGBT movement slash agenda. I do not think they are remotely one and the same thing. Of course, there's naturally an, uh, some overlap there, but the movement, especially because the T honestly has taken over the rest of it, like the LG and the B, like people don't even, <laughs> it's all about the T now, right? The T has yeah. totally taken and over the rest the of it. Is like, and that's the thing is like, Okay, go ahead. I have to, I'm sorry, I have to say something like my friends and like my clients, they were like, one of my clients was the second 
oldest HIV positive male in the United States. So that means he contracted it very, very early and lived through every, like lived through mm -hmm. everything. He was in basements being pumped with all kinds of drugs, all kinds of crazy stuff. Like mm -hmm. he knew, um, he knew literally everybody from way back then. But the thing is, is they were so proud to be gay men or so proud to be like, or women were so proud to be lesbians or whatever it was that they fought so hard for like, you know, for them to be treated as treated with decency and mm -hmm. i feel like it's upsetting for a lot of the old school folks that put that were actually there out, out there putting in the work pushing through positive legislation making sure that you know that the hiv community got you know got health care and got help mm -hmm. with that that it's kind of it's kind of sucks for them because they put all this work in and now we have all these groups of people that are being they're extremists is really what it is that yes. they're pushing all these extreme things and it's taking away their struggle it's taking away their strife it's taking away their history everything that they worked for i think it's also turning people against it it is i'll, I'll be real right like i think even even with the t aspect right like transgenderism trans people whatever like most people whether they're like in in the west anyway this is not necessarily global but in the west most vast majority of people even conservative people conservative liberal centrist libertarian most people don't really care. most people don't really care right they may have they, they may have their personal or moral or religious objections to certain things but if you are an adult most people at this stage in time, most people don't care. But what's happening is people are being forced to care because of this encroachment, right? Because of this encroachment on women's sports, the encroachment into women's spaces, the absolute denial of biological realities, the pushing, trying to force certain things and indoctrinate very young children mm -hmm. into certain things that is causing people who previously were just like apathetic, live and let live, laissez-faire, whatever, I think it's actually, I, I would not be surprised if someone were to poll people on like their thoughts on the LGBT movement or even LGBT, LGBT people and find that it has gone backwards over the last couple years. It, it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me at all because as we were saying, and this is unfortunate because you should always judge people as individuals, but when people are constantly being battered and hit over the head every single day with all this stuff. And it's, it's starting to encroach on them. It makes them, people are reactionary. It makes people push back the other way. And I also wonder, and I say this as someone who grew up in the Middle East and someone whose family background is originally from, uh, you know, Nigeria and Africa as a whole continent, like is not down with, uh, is not down with homosexuality. Okay. Needless to say. And I often wonder, this is some this is a relatively relatively new thought but I've been wondering I wonder if the sort let's say the the reasonable gay rights movements in developing countries and treatment of homosexual people in those countries is now potentially being severely negatively impacted by what is going on in the west Right. Because if you go back to the 90s, if you go back to the 80s, you go back further, right? especially from conservatives. Right. The concern was always the slippery slope. Right. It was always that it look, if we allow this, it's going to descend into it's going to descend into this. Right. You know, just 10 years ago, it was like, look, oh, look, gay people just want to get married. Right. That was the whole thing. Again, live and let live. Look, people love who they love. Let let these people get married and. Mm -hmm. You know, from the movement itself, they were like, that. that's all we want. And then eventually, 
sure, that was a long bad, but people were like, okay, you know, fair enough. And people generally have kind of accepted that whether or not they have moral objections from a legal perspective, they're kind of like, okay, fair enough. And then in less than a decade, you've now got people saying that women are a social construct and that men can men can menstruate and can get pregnant and that little no. children should be put on hormones or have surgeries no. or whatever. So I wonder, I wonder if all of that, because you know, the world is so interconnected. I wonder if people in the Middle East and in Africa and certain parts of Asia and South America, I wonder if they're seeing all this and they're like, okay, we absolutely, we've seen where this is leading to. So we could, we absolutely cannot let this stuff fly. I wonder if that's actually happening. It probably is happening because what a lot of people do not understand is that people come to America to most of the time they come to America to escape turmoil, or at least that's Mm -hmm. what used to happen. And that's why we have a border crisis now. Well, some people would argue something differently is because people from Latin American countries want to come over here because it is a better quality life. That's fine. Fantastic. Like that's a separate topic, but people come here for a better quality of life. And if you're coming to a country for a better quality of life, but then telling that country how to dictate and what to tell other people what they need to do, why didn't you, if you feel so passionately about this, why didn't you stay home and do this in your household and instead of coming here and upsetting other people? Like, I love people. I want people to come. I want them to be free. I want them to live their life just as long as they're good, decent people. But you Mm -hmm. can't come home or you can't come to somebody else's home to their turf like can you imagine being being somewhere like me on the streets what i realize if you're going to go down a street that you don't live on that you don't hang out on you don't know the people there you come in there and you start telling people you need to do this this and this that's not going to end well that doesn't go over well nobody Mm -hmm. is going to go in some of the traps in la and tell other people what they need to do you're you're gonna you're gonna try to come in you're gonna turn around you're gonna leave because they're gonna they're not going to take it kindly. But people mm-hmm. literally come here and do that. And I just don't understand. It's like, if you feel so strongly about this, why aren't you, why didn't you stay home and express mm-hmm. your opinion there? Because other countries, and especially Americans don't realize cult, like one of the things Americans fail to do is really understand cultures of other people outside yes. of, of America, like, like outside of maybe Sicilian Americans or African Americans <laughs> or Asian Americans or whatever it may be. They're just like, okay, American. And if it's American, like Americans are Americans and our cultures are very like, even though there's like obviously differences, but they're kind of, you know, we all kind of want the same things, do the same things. But when you're talking about like somebody that's from Africa or somebody that's from Asia or from China or from Mexico, their cultures are very, very different, very, very different. Their beliefs are very, very different. So you're not going to act the same that you're going to act in the United States and bring it elsewhere. And that's one of the reasons why I haven't traveled to the Middle East is because I don't know enough about the culture yet. Am I going to be safe there? I have tattoos. Do I need to dress a particular type of way? I want to make sure if I'm going to leave the country or I'm going to go into somebody else's home, I'm going to come with respect because if I don't come there with respect and have this entitled personality, well, I'm American. I can do whatever I want to do. (laughs) No, 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 no. Because I've been, I've been in trap houses and I've been down the streets where you go down there and they will, I've been in the the old neighborhood I used to live in. I went to the grocery store and I got hit up by gang members. Like, where are you from? And I'm like, I live right down the street. They're like, well, da, 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 da. And I was like, why well, live here? I own a home here. So I need to do my grocery shopping. They're like, okay, respect. And they let me go. You mm-hmm. have to be very careful where you go and what you do. And a lot of people are so entitled in the United States, regardless if they immigrated here or whatever it is, that they think they can push people around and force people to do what they want to do. And it just, it's not the case. You cannot do that. And I feel like we're so entitled. We feel mm-hmm. like everything should be given to us, especially this new generation, that it's just, that, that's not reality. It's not the way it works in other countries. Yeah. And another thing leading on from that, I totally agree with what you said there. Um, 
I think another thing is people, people forget how new a lot of stuff is. Um, people forget that. So for example, when people are looking at, you know, let's, let's take, let's take Saudi Arabia because it's a, it's a very, it's a very controversial country to a lot of Westerners and it's somewhere that I lived for two decades. So, you know, I, I think I have more, uh, more clout on, but you're not Saudi Arabian. You can't talk about it. Oh yeah. You know, um, so people often forget how recent certain aspects of progress have been. So if you go back, let's go back 100 years, 1922, USA 1922, right? Like in that short time frame, that's one, that's one long lifetime, but so much has changed, right? A lot positive, as we've already mentioned, there, there have certainly been, been some, some downsides and some excesses, but overall society had, in terms of, if we're going to talk about like the way people treat each other, and treat people of different groups and persuasions, race, ethnicity, sexuality, gender. Things have progressed at a phenomenal speed. And I think sometimes that is not appreciated properly in two ways. Number one, I think that people can be uh, way too sort of judgmental of other nations and countries and societies where it's just like, oh, well, you know, we do this. And so, you know, they should do that. I'm like, bro, like you've only had that for a decade or like a couple decades. Like you don't need to go back very far in U.S. history to see, you know, vicious racism or to see vicious homophobia or to see, you know, all these other things like like real, real versions too, like like not the nonsense that a lot of people worry about these days, real white supremacy, right? Like real, real stuff. Um, and so I think that it can cause people to be, uh, just kind of have like weird expectations, I guess, of other places and that, that entitlement mentality as well. And they're not, they themselves aren't even realizing, well, even where you're from, this isn't, this isn't something like that's been around for centuries, let alone millennia. Like it's, it's new. So, you know, give stuff some time. But I also think that people don't, um, yeah, there's a lot of things I think Americans don't properly appreciate about the U.S. and Westerners don't appreciate about the West in general. Um, but I think also, you know, people are are not appreciative enough of just how as as many problems as they are. And we're discussing a lot of the problems in society. Things are also so good and so prosperous and there's so much money and opportunity and relative fairness and equality and decent treatment of people and good infrastructure and stuff working. And because most Americans, the truth is most Americans have never left the country. Right. So, or there's, or there's cities. Yeah. So it's not surprising that people don't have this sense of perspective and gratitude, but I think actually if people were to just kind of look at history, I mean, world war two was only 80 years ago. That was right. a pretty bad time. Um, and look at how much progress has been made in that one person's lifetime. It's like, man, like that's something to be celebrated. And, you know, instead of always condemning and wanting to deconstruct and dismantle and, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's like, look, we can acknowledge history and we can acknowledge these issues and we can also acknowledge issues in the present, but we should also balance it with the sense of like, yo, what we're doing right now here, Wendy is, is magical, right? We're, <laughs> we're, we're, 
I don't know how many miles away from each other, thousands of miles away from each other, talking in real time. I can see you. You can see me. We're here in HD. We can share this conversation with thousands of people across the entire globe. And we're doing this for essentially for free. And we have access to this and access to that. And all of that is amazing. Like if if any of our ancestors could could see, just see what we're doing, they would think this is some form of, of witchcraft or magic. And on top of it, I'm a woman and you're a man. That this might not have been this might not have been allowed 50 years ago. True. Black man as well. Black man. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that well, too hey, as well. No, you know but what? that too as well, right? Like the on thing two is, though, on two if, levels. If you call my mother a white woman, she'll say I'm Sicilian, even though Sicilian, she's white skinned. Yeah. So okay, but yeah. but back then they were treated, they were treated absolutely terrible. Like my sure. my grand my grandma got beat in school because she had a Sicilian accent. Mm. Mm. And that that's not you, you can't hit kids anymore, which is amazing. That's that's progress. But this conversation probably would not have been appropriate no. 50 years ago. No, no. Um, on multiple levels. And that's something to be grateful for. So I think I think it's really important to have that balance. It's something I try to do. Sometimes I, you know, I've I've I don't know, like oh overall, like my message is always really positive. And even when I'm being critical. I'm often critical because I'm very aware and conscious of how good and special and unique this this is. And I recognize that billions of people across the world do not have this. And billions of people who came before us absolutely did not have any of this. And I'm just like, guys, let's not ruin it. You know, like, let's not let's not go so far in the overcorrection that you end up regressing backwards and losing all of these gains that were made over the past couple of decades. And that's why I do get angry when I'm seeing like this complete, you know, massive infringements on freedom and liberty over the past couple of years, or I'm seeing, uh, you know, men entering women's sports and smashing them up and people trying to completely deny basic biological realities and the truth itself. And you're seeing people trying to invert this and change that and cause these problems in the economy. And it's just like, guys, like things are not perfect, but it's pretty good. So like, let's just, can we all be a little more cautious and a little more, a little more careful with how we treat each other and the way that we use our systems and our institutions and all that, and not just kind of barrel off this cliff where we end up in this situation where 10 years from now, or even five years from now, things are, things are worse than they were before. And I, I do feel like 2022 is worse than, I don't know, 2018 or 2019. I think we've gone backwards over the last couple of years in the entire Western world. I think we've, we've gone backwards. You know, we have less freedom. We have less equality. You have people advocating segregation. You were just telling me you wanted to go to a restaurant and you couldn't uh, enter a restaurant in LA, right? I mean, like, think of that. Like, this is the thing. People even... That that's unfathomable. We we haven't even that conversation has not existed in our lifetime until well, one year I mean, ago. well, people don't like to bring the Holocaust up into it, but really, they 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 separated people. They did it based on specific things, and I know some people get mad about it, but they did. And I'm I was I'm almost I was almost not here because my family literally survived that and came to mm -hmm. the United States. Mm -hmm. And I like, cause my dad passed when I was young. So some of the things that stuck with me were what he taught me verbally about what happened to my ancestors. Mm -hmm. And it was, my dad was a very, very proud Jewish man, very, very proud 
bar mitzvah, everything. And he was like, we always celebrated the Jewish holidays, even though like, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't super, super religious, but he was very, he was a proud Jewish man. Cause over mm -hmm. time, you know, sometimes religion dissipates and whatnot, but we always learned about that stuff. And it made, like, I read some of the things I'm like, Oh my God, like, this is like, you're, you're really just, you're forcing people apart. And I feel like, I feel like it's, it when, when you, when you remove the best way to remove power from people is to control them. And you do that by pitting you pit, by pitting um, low IQ people against each other or people that are not mm. educated enough. And mm. people feel powerful when they're part of a herd because standing yes. alone, being a lone wolf is hard. Mm. I, I prefer to do a lot of my work, a lot of my business alone because I have, I don't trust a lot of people um, because I am a public figure. And it's easier to be with a herd because you feel more comfortable, you feel more confident, you move mm -hmm. different. But when you're by yourself and you're struggling by yourself and you're building by yourself, it is mm -hmm. a completely uncomfortable. It is like you're it's like you're suspended in full air and you're like, where am I going? Because you don't have mm -hmm. anybody pulling you either direction or holding you together. You're just like floating. But when you're with a herd of people, you have all these people. It's you in this big group of people like a bubble and you're just kind of floating together. So if you start to feel uncomfortable, you get bounced back this way or bounced back this way. I've just had an, I've just had a thought that I've never had before. This, I don't often get these breakthroughs in the middle of a podcast or towards the end of a podcast, but I've just had an interesting thought about the herd and why the herd is so attractive. And I don't think I've ever heard anyone make this point when you're in a herd it dissipates the responsibility for wrongdoing or failure, but it also allows you to claim credit for good things and victory, right? Mm -hmm. So if someone is doing something that is it wrong or immoral or unethical, right? Mm -hmm. And they're doing it as part of a hob, it doesn't, doesn't matter if it's a mob that's going out looting and vandalizing things or committing a crime, or doing something, committing atrocities that happened um, in reference to what you were just saying or other historical atrocities, the responsibility is dissipated, right? It's like, well, it's what it wasn't me. I was just following orders. I was part of this thing, whatever. It might even be hard to identify the individual. So it, it dissipates that responsibility. But then when you want to claim a victory, like most obvious example is like sports teams or, or uh, you know, I was going to say political teams, which is what they are. Mm -hmm. It's like you, you're not even a part of this. You're not on the court. You're not on the field. You're not even playing the game. But just by identifying as a member of that group, you can now say, hey, we won. We, I was part of this thing, whatever. So I think that's something that's very attractive about the herd beyond the things that we often talk about, I think that's also a part of it as well. And so given we're living in this time of people liking to deny personal responsibility and not be accountable, I think that's very attractive. I think what you do is scary to a lot of people. What I do is scary to a lot of people because if you're doing it and you are, it's on you. It comes down to you, wins, losses, um, you know, victories, wh wh whatever it is, it, it comes down to you. And that's great because you're in control and you're empowered and you can properly take credit for the things that you would do that are that are great or the achievements you make. But it also means that if you if you mess up or you do the wrong thing or something doesn't go well, especially again, multiply that by being a public figure who hundreds of thousands or millions of people are connected to, you also have to kind of take you also have to take your L's, right? You've got to be like, hey, you know what? I was wrong. 
I made a mistake or I said something, I said something stupid or I did this thing and it didn't work, whatever. And I think so many people are fear, uh, afraid of that because, I mean, besides death, there's no greater fear than social judgment. I agree with that 100%. It's just so much easier to operate in a herd, like you said, because if you make a mistake, you have somebody to pick you back up. But if mm -hmm. you make a mistake and you're by yourself, you have to own up to it. And personal yeah. responsibility and accountability is hard. I, I'm a Leo, so I hate admitting I'm wrong. I hate it. Hate it, hate it, hate it. But Leo, yes. Leo gang, Leo gang. I hate admitting I'm wrong, but you know what? <laughs> As I've matured, I'll be like, I apologize. <laughs> I was wrong. I'm hating every moment of this, but I'm still owning it. And I apologize. I am sorry. I'm going to do. And one of the things that I do with my daughter is she's like, mom, I'm sorry. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't want you to apologize to me. I want you to tell me what you did. Mm -hmm. Why was it wrong? And what steps you're going to take to improve on it or to not mm -hmm. do it. And the reason why is because if you just say, I'm sorry, you're not showing growth. You're not showcasing that you care. Because to me, an apology, words are great. But at the same time, if there's no actions to support those words or at least effort for positive change, I don't like, let's say that she, she gets her milk and she dumps the whole thing on the floor. And she's like, mm -hmm. mom, I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> what did you was wrong? What did you do was wrong? Mommy, I dumped milk on the floor. Why was that wrong? Yeah. It was wrong because I'm not, because the milk is supposed to stay in the cup and I made a mess. What are you going to do to change it? I'm not going to dump milk on the floor. And let's say the next day she comes in my office and instead of dumping the whole cup of milk on the floor, it's only half of a cup of milk. Guess what? Am I going to be upset still? I'm going to be a little frustrated, but at the same time, at least that is a step in the right direction. <laughs> and it's a very silly analogy, but at the same time, humans are not able, most humans cannot change overnight instantly. And that's mm -hmm. okay. It's about mini victories. It's about taking steps to better yourself as a human. Because no, let's face it, no entrepreneur is going to become a multimillionaire overnight. It doesn't happen that way. You have to take many baby steps, many victories mm -hmm. to go ahead and build that up. So if my daughter, as a human being, as a little person, if she is taking steps and dumping out less milk every single day on the floor, guess what? Is it going to piss me off? Yeah. But at the same time, <laughs> she is working on not dumping the entire milk cup on the floor. Amen. Wendy, what should we call this podcast? I don't know what the title of this episode. The Uncancelable Woman. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about so many things that I'm like, man, what are we even going to call this? I don't thing? know. It's it's. I had a I had a great time. I don't know what we're going to call it. Um, I don't know. Okay, why you shouldn't dump your milk on the floor? I don't know. I'll I'll figure something out. This is awesome. Wendy, where can where can people find you online? Um, you guys can find me. I am Crypto Windio everywhere, and the reason why is because I mostly talk about crypto. That's my get down. That's my jam. That's my hustle. And we didn't even mention it. <laughs> well, I know because I do. Because this is the thing: yeah. as a mother, social issues are very important to me because I want mm. my daughter to be able to thrive. And I feel that when I decided to have a child, my job became from keeping myself healthy was to keep this other person healthy and thrive. When people mm -hmm. have kids, and I think a lot of people don't really understand this, your, your life is essentially dedicated to this person until they're, mm -hmm. until they're able to sustain. Obviously, there's things that happen. There's you know all kinds of stuff that can happen. But at the same time, it is your job to be the best parent that you can. And that's determined on who you are as a person. So for me, 
if I am not doing the best, like I have a platform, I'm really blessed and lucky to have a platform. I worked hard for it, but I've got a really great platform. And if I'm not using my platform to speak, even if I get two likes on a tweet, I don't care. At least I'm using my platform to say what I feel that I need to say to become a better person, to become a better parent, to provide a better life for my child. Mm -hmm. And if you're not doing that as a parent, then you've failed. There's not a whole lot of ways that you can fail as a parent, but if you're not trying to be a better version of yourself and dedicating, obviously you got to set boundaries, but if you're not trying to improve the quality of life of your child or you're not willing to do that, then having kids is not for you because it is not, I'm going to pop this kid out. They're going to go to public school. Not my problem. It is daily struggles. It's beautiful, but it's also hard too. And that is my job as a public figure, whoever, however people want to classify me, it's my job to provide for my child to keep her healthy and safe. That is my number one job. Part of keeping her healthy and safe is making sure she has a good education, a roof over her head, and I'm giving her love and support, but also calling her out on her bowl and walking walking with her by, side by side to help her improve her essence as a person, I guess, and to be the best decent person that she can be, of course, with setting boundaries because boundaries are immensely important for both boys and girls in different ways. Amen. Real Talk with Wendy O. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Wendy. It's been amazing talking to you. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.